0: You're listening to our trader Candidate Home and Abroad and uh, Ireland has been elected onto the UN Security Council and it's been a long time since that happened before and it's the result of tremendous effort on behalf of numerous people that over the last number of years have worked to make this happen and one is... Minister Kieran Cannon, the junior minister in the Department of Foreign Affairs, and he's also the minister for the diaspora. Uh, minister, thanks a million for taking the time to come along and have a chat with us. First of all, congratulations, and uh, you must be very <coughs> proud.
1: Thank you, Austin, and thanks for having the opportunity to talk with you. Um, yes, we're very proud. This was a very uh, large team effort stretching across the globe, in essence, on all of our um, missions around the world, all of our embassies, all of our consulates, <coughs> uh, headed up by um, our UN team in New York and uh, a very, another significant team um, at Ivy House, the Department of Foreign Affairs HQ in Dublin. Uh, the diplomatic um, w- wisdom and experience and knowledge uh, garnered over many years was brought to bear on the campaign. Uh, and then alongside that, then, um, uh, obviously, Simon Coveney, who's the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Uh, our European Affairs Minister, Helen McEntee, and myself, and Catherine Zappone. We also worked alongside in making the case for Ireland to be elected to the the UN Security Council for that period of 2021 to 2022.
0: When was the last time Ireland was on the Security Council? It was back in the early 2000s. Um, It's hard to believe now, almost 20 years
1: ago. Um, Back then, um, we were deeply involved in the... uh, the case for the banning of cluster munitions, uh, something that still applies to this day. Uh, we've been a member of the UN Security Council for three times in, France, in the early 2000s, in the 80s and in the 60s. And in the 60s, we were also very involved in the campaign for a nuclear disarmament the, um, just to reduce the number of nuclear weapon weaponry worldwide. Um, so, you know, th- there are legacy legacies still outstanding from our previous memberships of the UN Security Council, I and mean, we hope there similarly, powerful legacies in the future arising from this upcoming.
0: And, Minister, that raises the whole question of what can be achieved on the Security Council, what does the Security Council do, and how much influence can a country like Ireland, a small country, uh, then exert in that environment?
1: Well, first of all, many people uh, have described the UN Security Council essentially as the conscience of the planet, the conscience of our species. It is the highest decision-making entity within the United Nations, uh, an organization that brings together all the countries of the world. Um, Ireland um, fundamentally believes uh, that we have a significant role to play within the UN Security Council arising from our experience as a people and as a country. Um, Right now, across the world, Austin, um, there are people um, involved in mass migration. There are people who are suffering um, at the very, very fringes of society, suffering starvation, suffering um, relocation, uh, being torn away from their families, from their communities. All of these things are very familiar to the people of Ireland, um, going all the way back to the famine, the mass starvation and the mass migration arising from that. And then, even in recent times, if you look at um, the post colonial conflict that Ireland suffered, uh, a conflict that you and I will remember growing up in Ireland, um, you know, opening the newspapers, turning on the radio every day to hear of atrocity after atrocity being committed, um, communities deep, so, so deeply divided. And thankfully, we've now celebrated over 20 years of peace on our island here on the edge of Europe. And we want to bring all of that experience of uh, conflict resolution, of making peace and keeping peace uh, to bear uh, at the highest level within the United Nations. Ireland has an lot to offer in terms of our experience. We're a small country, but we think big. We're a country that listens. In our previous memberships of the Security Council, we've always um, spoken with a strong, independent voice for those who need us to speak up on, behalf, on their behalf.
0: So, uh, in the intervening periods, I know Ireland has been called on to bring its experience to a variety of other places around the world where there has been conflict. And this also as a result of the experience from the conflict resolution within the north of Ireland. So Hmm. being back on the Security Council, does it bring Ireland to the fore again globally in its ability to act as an intermediary?
1: It does exactly that, Austin. And, And a trusted intermediary. I mean, Ireland has never been a colonial occupier, a colonial power. Um, from joined the, the United Nations back in the 60s, and from then to this day, um, right up to this day, every single day of that intervening 40 years, um, Irish soldiers have been involved in peacekeeping worldwide. We have one of the strongest peacekeeping presences per capita in the world. Uh, and that's what we bring. We bring empathy, we bring trust, we bring understanding, we bring that experience of resolving conflict and sustaining peace and, and that is a critically, critically important part of what Ireland uh, will be doing in terms of its role within the UN for those two years, to Um We also fundamentally believe, Austin, in the power of multilateralism, the power of the world, the countries of the world coming together to solve the problems of the world. And if you look right now, um, we're encountering one of the most significant challenges the world and our, our species has ever faced in terms of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, the words of Dr. Mike Ryan of the WHO echo with me over and over again. And I think it's no coincidence that, you know, he's at the very, very highest level within the WHO, uh, charged with tackling this virus head-on, but it's no coincidence that from an Irishman the words, no one is safe until everyone is safe, were uttered. Because that is essentially what we bring. We bring that uh, sense of, um, as I say, togetherness, and that the only way we can solve the problems of the world is by uniting and working together. And, you know, there are many very, very powerful voices within the world now advocating for the exact opposite of that, um, for protectivism, for shutting down borders, um, for preventing um, that kind of uh, unity of purpose from occurring. So we need strong voices within the United Nations uh, to make the case for multilateralism, for that coming together of the countries of the world to solve the problems of the world
0: well, Minister when you mentioned that some of those countries are on the Security Council they're around the same table and some of them hold the power of veto and mm. so given that there are such powerful forces around that table again how much in the current environment do you believe that Ireland will be able to have influence
1: I think there's no, I mean, there's no question that there are some very, very powerful players around that table, and they do have a veto. But you know, conversations go on within the UN every day within the UN Security Council, um, and Ireland has always been um, an entity that s- seeks to win over hearts and minds in making strong, well-argued cases, as I say, for, for, for that multilateral approach. Uh, for the rules-based international order, for respecting uh, international law, for looking after and reaching out to the most vulnerable. So, um, you know, and again, I think it's exceptionally important that the smaller countries of the world uh, have that voice at the table um, in terms of having their voice heard and having, having it amplified. And Ireland sees one of its roles of the United Nations Security Council very much in that context. So while there are larger voices and stronger voices at the table, um, it's incredibly important that uh, all voices are heard, uh, and our voice will be heard in terms of the case we want to make uh, for that uh, more sustainable, fairer, more just world. Um, and that's something we're very, very ambitious to
0: do in our two years on, on security. So, Minister, would it be fair to say then that the Irish are very adept at soft Diplomacy, and that in many ways that soft diplomacy is what has successfully had Ireland elected now, and that soft diplomacy would be how Ireland would be able to influence.
1: Exactly, that's exactly the point, Austin. And and it's it's a great phrase, soft diplomacy. Um, you know, um, small conversations had, um, you know, uh, perhaps in the corner of a room, um, winning over, as I say, hearts and minds uh, to making the right decision ultimately. Um, in the best interests of the peoples of the world and, and that's what we do very very well um, we don't hammer people over the head with our opinions or our attitude um, we win them over by showing understanding by approaching every challenge uh, and if you look at the work that Irish Aid has done particularly on the African continent we've always used the phrase partnership um, we don't um, you know, waltz into a country and start dictating as to how that country should be run or should be Um, sustained, we we go in there and we say, how can we help? Um, Because we have experienced ourselves in the past of being a country dominated by others, um, losing our independence, losing our opportunity to shape our own future. We know how that feels. Uh, And we now want to, as I say, so therefore, that is never the approach we are going to take as a people. And in terms of our diplomatic teams worldwide, it is always about partnership. It's always about determining how best we can work together to affect the most positive outcome. And as you say, that's wonderfully described as soft diplomacy. Uh, Ireland is very, very good at it. Um, and, you know, we, we we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. As I say, we were never that colonial uh, occupier, that colonial power. In fact, Ireland's first uh, presence in many places, like the African continent and Southeast Asia, in some of the more poor parts of the world, was, our, was through our missionaries, um, stretching back over 100 years now. And, um, and, and with a wonderful tradition of Irish missionaries, Irish educators, uh, Irish healers, um, and they lay the foundations for the uh, great Irish humanitarian work that's ongoing right now uh, through the work of Irish Aid, through our partner NGOs. Um, and Michael T. Higgins, our president, uh, at a lecturer in Fordham University around the time of the UN Assembly in New York last September, he used a wonderful phrase which really resonated with me, and I haven't, and I never will forget, he said that. When our Irish people went abroad uh, over those last uh, hundreds of years, um, particularly our Irish missionary people, they went um, not to take, but to give, not to hurt, but to heal. And we stand on their shoulders. And, and you know, if I, and I do. And I, I visit so many Irish diaspora communities around the world, including there in Canada, in the U.S., Australia, in the U.K., New Zealand. And all of those people who have gone before us have continued to sustain that trust in us as a people. So that's what we build our reputation on. Um, empathy, trust and partnership. And it's a very powerful recipe uh, for effecting change. We've used it wisely uh, over the last you know, decades and we intend to do so.
0: Minister, um, switching gears slightly, we're all operating our studios and our offices from our yes. homes as you are and I am. And uh, the COVID-19, Ireland has um, started to see an improvement to the point where people are—I won't say getting back to normal, but getting back out. And uh, well, I know you're a great yes. cyclist, and it's easier to get out on the open roads on your bike on your own and all the rest of it. Uh, the social Irish are getting the opportunity to start coming together in small groups again.
1: Yes, we are. Um, and look, it's like every country—it's been a really, really difficult time for our people. They made huge sacrifices over the last three to four months. Uh, to suppress the spread of the virus. Thankfully now, Ireland is in phase two uh, of what will probably be a um, four-phase reopening of our economy and of our society. And thankfully now, we're getting back to seeing one another in in the public domain again. Um, Our smaller shops and businesses are now reopening. Um, At the end of this month, we will see our, our hotels, our restaurants, some of our bars reopening, um, albeit in a completely different world, in a completely different context with the obligations to maintain social distancing, which is going to be very, very challenging. Um, but I think Irish people are up for the challenge. Um, we've managed to suppress uh, that terrible surge that we saw in other countries that really put incredible pressure on the health services of other countries. We managed to avoid that here in Ireland. Sadly, we lost, uh, we've lost over 1,700 of our people to the virus. But we managed to save uh, thousands more, and as I say, Um, flattened the curve, that phrase that we've all become very, very familiar with. So we're now on the other end of that. We're coming out of it in a very carefully managed um, uh, process of of phases. Uh, We're in phase two. We go into phase three on the 29th of this month and hopefully onwards uh, without seeing any uh, recurrence of the the virus to any large degree as we move uh, to an absolute reopening hopefully by uh, early August.
0: And Minister, as Minister for the Diaspora, you more than anybody else have a finger on the pulse of how mm. many Irish there are abroad and also how much we enjoy coming back to Ireland mm. um, and how difficult that is going to be for a while. Yes. Um, yeah. that, uh, tourism has been a, a tremendous contributor to the Irish economy. It's going to be a while before that gets back to where it was really the way it was.
1: It certainly is, Austin, and it's a sector that we're concerned about. It's a sector that we are working uh, with them, hand in glove, collaborating with um, all of their representatives, all the stakeholders, to ensure that we uh, can maximize the opportunity. If you look at the last recession Ireland had uh, back in 2008, 2009, tourism was an incredibly powerful uh, tool to us to reawaken and reboot Ireland's economy, and we hope it will be so again. But in this time around it's got that additional challenge of you know, social, the social distancing obligations. So uh, Forge Ireland, that's our national tourism organization, uh, is, is has just today published some new guidelines as to how exactly that's going to work. Uh, and it will be challenging for a while. It will be a very slow burn in terms of getting um, tourism up and running. Obviously, as well, uh, internationally, the experience is now, Austin, that even though planes are slowly but surely making their way back into, into the sky, uh, flights beginning to happen again people are still very reluctant to travel, uh, and understandably so. So if you look at uh, all of the um, more uh, influential voices within tourism, within aviation, they're all saying uh, that it will be this time next year before we look at ang- anything like a norm- normality in that sector. Uh, so uh, for a country like Ireland that's hugely reliant on tourism for its economy, that's going to be a particularly challenging aspect uh, of the, the, the reopening of the I- Irish economy and, and Irish society
0: and uh, Minister um, switching gears again I I know that the election was in Ireland back in February and there has been taken some time to uh, come to a formula that will allow government to be formed and COVID-19 stepped in in the middle to put all those kind of things uh, on the back burner in one way Uh, and uh, then between that and Brexit it has been a very trying time but it's looking like uh, I hate to say this but are you worried you might be out of a job (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, um, so I know it's the, just, we're, we're, know we're, we're, it's the of politics, Minister. I'm, I'm in the final days of this job.
1: Um, probably will be coming to an end in the next uh, ten to fourteen days with a new government in place. Um, we now have a process whereby um, three parties, uh, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, and the Green Party—coming together. It's unprecedented. It's, it's absolutely historical in terms of the history of politics in Ireland. Um, to see these three parties sitting down around a negotiating table, coming up with a program for government for the next five years and right now as we speak the memberships of uh, respective memberships of each of those three parties are actually voting on whether or not they will approve that program for government and ultimately make that final commitment to come in uh, together, a three party coalition to form a government for the next five years so um, it's an interesting time for those who uh, observe politics from uh, from the outside it's uh, I think it's a very positive time in terms of um, the, you know, we have three parties um, who have very, in certain elements of their policy making, have very different approaches to policy making, but have common threads running through all of them. And, uh, and you know, they, they've always believed that um, Ireland, in terms of our, our work internationally, that Ireland has a very significant role to play in being a broker of peace and a sustainer of peace. Uh, our humanitarian work internationally needs to continue, and the programme for government has a very, very strong commitment to that, um, negotiated and agreed very easily by all three parties. Um, and that Ireland needs to work now um, in supporting its people uh, to uh, make the road, make that journey on the road back to recovery. Get we have you know close to seven hundred thousand people out of work now. Get them all back to work um, and support them in doing so. And also um, to build uh, a more sustainable Ireland, an Ireland that can hold its head high in terms of its climate action work uh, here in, in, on the island itself, and indeed internationally. So, um, it's a very exciting time. Um, it will also be a challenging time, um, and certainly it will be a time uh, where all of us who are in part, uh, members of that um, tripartite government. We'll have to make some compromises. And again, you mentioned earlier on the word word soft diplomacy. I think there'll be a lot of soft diplomacy employed in keeping that show on the road for the next five years. But I think we're well capable of doing it. if We keep focusing on that big picture, uh, on a strong economy, uh, on a healthy uh, and sustainable and just society here in Ireland and working towards something similar internationally.
0: Would you define it in any way as a paradigm shift insofar as what were the traditional... I won't quite say enemies, but polar opposites are, are from one reason or another uh, coming together, uh, and in a way, uh, one could say reuniting. Um
1: yeah, it's 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 not without question exactly that a paradigm shift in Irish politics. If you were sit down uh, with somebody twenty years ago and tell them that uh, in mid twenty twenty, the two largest parties in the country. Um, would find themselves with no option to be frank but to start working with one another uh, start communicating with one another start um, sitting down at a table and determining uh, what their shared goals are for, for a country for the future they wouldn't have believed it would be possible I said this at the last election in 2016 that this is where we were going um, That, we, that we, we were looking at a complete reconfiguration of the Irish political landscape in terms of if you look at most European countries um, we see the Physical divides along ideology. Um, you know, you have centre-left, centre-right, and you have hard left, hard right. Um, thankfully, Ireland has neither hard left nor hard right, I would argue. We all kind of hover somewhere around the centre. Um, but that the, domination, the dominance of those two parties would eventually wane over time, and that other strong and powerful uh, parties would emerge, and we've seen that now with Sinn Féin, uh, and that ultimately those two parties would... Be, would would need to begin looking at the option of working together, and that's what's happened now. Right. Um, and I think it's a healthy thing. I think, um, as I say, it provides for that kind of um, restructuring of the Irish political landscape. Uh, and you know, there are still some within both parties, both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, who believe that somehow out there in, in the distant future there's a, a, an opportunity to kind of grow back to the once powerful uh, Political parties. They were. I don't. I think this is the future: a smaller, more, uh, more fractured uh, Irish political land. Well, not smaller, but you know, smaller political entities, smaller parties that don't wield that massive um, um, electoral um, heft that they did in the past, and thus obliging us to sit down. Um, as we are doing right now, and come up with, as I say, programs for government that serve the needs of the country best uh, for the foreseeable future. So it is that paradigm shift. And for those who think it's somehow a temporary paradigm shift, it's not. This is the way it's going to be in the future. And we're seeing that replicated again, um, very un- unusual and unlikely coalitions emerging in countries across Europe and Ireland is no
0: And when it comes to paradigm shifts, there's been another paradigm shift in the last number of 12 months. And that is, of course, that the UK is no longer part of the EU um, and the implications that that has had. And again, you as the Minister for the Diaspora would have been in close contact with the Irish communities uh, in the UK. And Mm. that has also changed the political landscape.
1: It has. um, And... You know, in a lot of the discussions we were having with our partner countries around the world about why um, they perhaps should consider supporting Ireland, we consistently made the case that Ireland is very proud of its membership of the European Union. We helped to build the European Union. We remain right at the heart of it. Um, And that we were um, anxious to remain uh, powerful advocates for, for countries, particularly in Africa, um, um, who needs to have their voices heard in Brussels in terms of the, uh, the relationship that's set to develop in the future between the European Union and Africa as it becomes a more powerful economic player. Um, so um, having Ireland there for those countries will be very, very important indeed. Um, it also, of course, for our people in the, in the United Kingdom, it poses huge questions for them in terms of their relationship with Ireland, in terms of the freedom of movement that they uh, enjoyed uh, back and over across the Irish Sea for generations. Thankfully, very early on, very early on in the Brexit negotiations, we're, we were able to cement that freedom at the common travel area where Irish people have the opportunity to move freely throughout the UK and citizens of the UK equally so have the opportunity to move. And that's protected now. It actually, it, it, was, it was in place long before the European Union uh, even became uh, an opportunity. Uh, and it will be in place uh, for many, many years to come. That was solidified and agreed and negotiated um, at the very early stages of the Brexit process. So that gave our our, our people in Britain huge degree of solace of knowing that those freedom that those freedoms that they had enjoyed for many, many uh, years will remain with them. So um, that was a very, very important part of reassuring our diaspora community over there that we are on their side, thinking of them and supporting them through what is a very challenging time for them.
0: And to come around full circle, the other um, country that was elected onto the Security Council was Norway. Canada mm-hmm. was not. Um, and uh, we, we, you are talking over here onto the Canadian side. I know mm-hmm. Canada came into the game uh, a little late in their efforts to try and uh, succeed in, in getting elected. Uh, I would take it that Ireland and Norway had, had their campaigns well underway and that, that, in effect, that it's no slight on Canada. It's more that Ireland and, Can- and Norway had been there before.
1: That's no, no slight on Canada. Yeah, it's no slight on Canada at all. Canada had a, an excellent campaign. Um, believe it or not, we began planning for this uh, 15 years ago. Um, even though we launched our campaign two years ago, planning for how exactly it might work again over 15 years ago. So that's the level of kind of uh, preparation one needs to be successful in a campaign like this. Canada and Ireland are, uh, remain, and always have been, uh, great friends. Um, uh, you know, we have collaborated; we will continue to collaborate in so many um, uh, projects around the world that, that benefit, as I said, the most vulnerable, the most needy. Um, Canada, um, uh, you know, uh, Ireland was very, very supportive of the uh, Canada-EU trade agreement, which opens up already has opened up huge trading opportunities between Canada and the European between ireland and canada and we're seeing uh, irish businesses irish academic institutions um, reaping the rewards of that trade agreement already so you know um there's a very very strong and positive relationship there and uh, going back over decades and it will as i say sustain for many many decades ago.
0: minister uh, thank you very much indeed for taking the time i know it's the time is, you guys are Busy and, and finding Can time. I just
1: say one last thing, Austin, to, to your people listening in, in, in your listeners in Canada and indeed your listeners around the world, our global Irish community, this crisis has brought out the best in us as a people in terms of, and, and I call it the spirit of the meal that coming together to support your neighbours, support your, your friends at, at the most challenging of times. Um, we have seen so many examples of the GA, GAA, um, our Irish community organisations around the world just rolling up their sleeves uh, and going out there and saying, where are the most vulnerable members of our community right now? Who's alone? Who needs help? Who needs support? And the response globally from our Irish community in supporting our Irish people around the world has been simply phenomenal, been powerful. And I just want to say a very sincere thanks to all of your listeners who are part of that community and I, I, I suspect that many of them have been involved in endeavours like that.
0: Indeed, Minister, I said, thank you for taking the time, as I, and I know you guys are on busy schedules, and I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Austin.